0: Welcome, everyone, to Warp 5, our podcast dedicated to all things Star Trek Enterprise. I'm Christopher Jones, and longtime listeners will recognize me as the original host of this show. I started this podcast back on June 27th, 2013 with my co-host Kate Walsh. And we were joined by Dave Rossi, the associate producer of Star Trek Enterprise, to talk about launching the series. And it's been a long, I have to say it, a long road getting from there to here. And today with me is Matthew Rushing, my co-host from The Orb, who most of you know. Matthew, thank you for joining me here on the NX-01.
1: Well, it's great to be here, Chris. You know, I, I love a Deep Space Nine a great deal, of course, you know, but I mean, the NX-01 has hats,
0: so. <laughs> True, and you're wearing yours right now. Yeah,
1: which is great. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's so good to be here on the NX-01. Uh, I, I don't know how many people know this, but I'm a, actually a huge fan of the series. Enterprise is actually one of my favorite Star Trek series and one that I've enjoyed revisiting over the years. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so excited that we're going to be diving into, well, we've kept it very secret till now, Chris, but I guess the cat's about to be out of the bag. Or, excuse me, the Porthos is about to be out of the bag. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. And uh, before we go on, Matthew, I just want to say, I'm glad that you've got your hat on. And I'm also glad you've taken Malcolm's advice and you've also kept your shirt on today. Thank oh, you I, that.
1: I, no, no, that's Tucker's <laughs> advice because I got to keep my shirt on.
0: <laughs> All right. So, yeah, as Matthew's alluding to here, we are starting up a series because September 26, which is the day that this is dropping into your podcast apps, is the 20th anniversary of the launch of Star Trek Enterprise in the premiere of the pilot episode, Broken Bow. And Matthew and I are both big fans of Enterprise, and we wanted to bring our usual banter about Star Trek over to this series and do a look back. We're going to go through every episode of the series. We're going to talk about our thoughts and our memories of it, how it fits into the franchise, and see where we go. So, Matthew, why don't we just start talking about Broken Bow here? And obviously, the first thing I have to ask you is just what's your memory of the show premiering?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of those things where uh, I uh, was living in Dallas at the time still and had a few good friends that were Star Trek fans. And, and we ended up having a party uh, to to watch, you know, the premiere and... You know I I would I would say it was it was great to, to be able to do that it was so fun you know to be able to have friends that that enjoyed Star Trek enough to to want to do this and it was fascinating because Enterprise in in the start here I would say it was a rocky beginning for me it, it was a it was a series to which I watched the first few episodes and then I just kind of let it go for a little bit like I I didn't really watch it and then I got back into it and 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 then never stopped. And so it, it it took a little bit get to get used to. And and I think that this is something that a lot of fans kind of dealt with because Enterprise definitely broke the mold in many ways for the series. And and Broken Bow definitely let us know that this wasn't going to be your grandpa's Star Trek. It was going to be different. And and in fact I don't I don't I don't know if it was even your grandpa's Star Trek. I just don't think it was what many people thought of as their Star Trek because, right. you know, so many people had grown so accustomed to TNG, DS9, and Voyager, and especially the fact that, you know, Voyager had really continued on, the whole feeling of a TNG in many ways with just kind of being a a... I would, I would say, light version of, of the next generation. And so Enterprise comes on the scene, and and, I, and in many ways, I, I think it's like Deep Space Nine in the sense that it really challenges our preconceptions of of Star Trek and what it is and, and what it isn't and all of those kind of things. So, you know, for me, that's really my biggest memory is is the fact that this wasn't a show that I immediately loved, but then came to love. And as I've gone back throughout the years now broken bow has become actually one of my favorite pilots. It's, it's, you know, that's what I really remember is this pilot feeling almost like a motion picture in many ways. And as the years have gone by, I've just loved it more and more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. And of course they intentionally went in a different direction with this show. I know a lot of listeners who love Voyager probably are going, I can't believe you said that Voyager is like TNG light. But that always was my feeling about Voyager as well. And it isn't meant to disparage the show. It was just that it was sort of a reaction to what was going on with DS9 and a desire to have a series that returned back more towards the formula of the next generation that so many fans loved And then after that, I think we see that flip again with Enterprise where there's a desire to do something a bit different again with the next series. And that's what we got. It's great that you had a party to watch it. I wish I could have gone to something like that. You know, my experience was completely different because I was living in Japan and those were the days long before any kind of streaming was around. Mm. And the way that I was able to see Enterprise when it aired is my father recorded it off of UPN in the US. Oh wow. And when when he would get four episodes on a videotape then he would send it over here to me in Japan. So I had to wait a little while to see Broken Bow. It's one of the I think well some of Deep Space Nine I had moved over to Japan in the middle of that series and of course Voyager. So some of that stuff I saw on a bit of a delay but as a premiere, you know, when the, when Voyager, we had like a, we all got together, like you said, to watch the Voyager premiere and DS9 was similar. And this was that first time where I was sitting in my living room by myself. I I've shared a lot of this stuff on warp five in the past and on the ready room, but I don't know if I shared the story of, I had received the videotape. I had gone to work and i think it was a friday and i was going to be home alone for the weekend and i came back from work and i made tacos which sounds normal in the us but not here especially not you know 20 years ago and i so i made tacos i made mexican food tex mex sat down on the sofa popped in the video cassette and started it up and it was just mesmerized from the beginning by the different tone of the show, the opening sequence. And I I connected with the show right from the start and really loved this new take on things. And it wasn't until maybe years later that I started really thinking about something that's often discussed of what if the show had started while they were building the NX-01 instead of launching the NX-01 and that kind of thing, which would have been quite a bit different still. And I don't know how fans would have taken to that, given the resistance that we already saw to the prequel concept in general.
1: Well, and it's interesting because in many ways they do do that. They give us a taste of that with uh, First Flight. Uh, yeah, right. And which mm-hmm. I loved because, you know, it, it, in that, show you basically get a a little almost backdoor pilot for for the idea of what they they thought enterprise might be way back when they were first trying to figure it out which was the right stuff and that is exactly what that feels like is the right stuff which was phenomenal it's it's you know when we get to that episode it's one of my favorite episodes enterprise of all time it's just so good but uh, you know you mentioning the idea of like what they're trying to do with enterprise which is they don't really feel like going forward anymore makes sense i mean it's just you know what else can you do technologically or you know it it just it feels like more of the same and the idea of trying to fill in the story of okay well how did we get to the place that we were in the original series like how do we get to this more perfect union Mm -hmm. of this federation and how do we go from first contact to there we'd already had first contact the movie so we'd at least seen that so how does a world go from world war three and the aftermath of that to being what we saw in tos and i think there's a there's real validity to answering that question And I think that's the exciting part is is that by also doing that, you are able to break the Gene Roddenberry TNG type of mold where everybody's perfect. You know, this is is a place where everything's new, everything's exciting, everything is frightening, you know. Uh, And I think all of that makes for a a much more interesting idea uh, than just trying to go forward again. And so to me, immediately, the idea itself made sense. You know, we'd already also had the Star Wars prequels, too. So, you know, that that kind of helped with that idea that was already happening there. So for Star Trek to do a prequel made sense as well. And that's the thing that brought me back to the show. In the first place, like when I kind of stopped watching for a few weeks and then it kind of came back to it, like I kept going because it really started to speak to me. Like I really started to get into the idea and really in the end loved it through and through. So I think that they made the right choice and the only detriment of Enterprise is the fact that it didn't get more seasons.
0: Right. Yeah. And that really stands out when you rewatch, especially if you do a rapid rewatch and you really see... How those characters develop and how they are become fleshed out, how the story evolves, and then it just gets cut off. And of course, we won't talk about it much here, but the way that the fourth season ends, and I'm not talking about the the Valentine that everyone loves to hate on. I'm talking about the episodes before that where they're building up this super interesting story and it just ends because, you know, the the series is cut short. Yeah, the idea of breaking out of the Gene Roddenberry mold of everyone being perfect is something that I feel like Star Trek had to do to keep growing. And if that hadn't been done, I don't know that we would have everything that we have today in Star Trek because the idea of just continuing with the 24th century or maybe go to the 25th century or so forth after Voyager. Like you say, what else can you do? And I think that Rick and Brandon actually mentioned that on the commentary where they say the ships can go a little bit faster. The right shields can be a little bit stronger. You can transport a little bit more quickly, or I don't remember their exact words, but something along those lines. And, you know, you can only do that for so long before people kind of get tired of it eventually. And Deep Space Nine and Voyager had already done a lot of work of breaking out of that everyone's perfect mold, but they did it in a way that I think was more palatable to Star Trek fans, whereas what we see at the beginning of Enterprise really turns things on their head. You know, we see humans that really feel like us, not like seasoned space explorers we see Vulcans who are they're not the like kind thoughtful logical people that we know from later in Star Trek and I think that really shook people up a lot as they were watching and so there's maybe a bit of a discomfort factor to Broken Bow in terms of how the traditional fandom perceived it mm-hmm. when they were watching it for the first time.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is that it reflects us a little bit more closely, and that is a little bit more uncomfortable, you know? And, and that's mm-hmm. honestly, I think, what makes Enterprise so much better than in some of the other Star Trek series that we have is because it reflects us in a way that is uncomfortable, but it also does it in a way that is, I would say, not is not obnoxious. Archer is shown somebody to to be uh, somebody who still has with uh, some preconceptions and, and and might even go as far as prejudice, the same way Captain Kirk does against the uh, against the Klingons for what they did to his son. Yeah,
0: I think it is. Yeah,
1: I think we also see you know Vulcans reflecting us as well in an, in some uncomfortable ways, and I I think what it helps us show is that. Evolution of 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 a people and a culture and character is something that is always continuing. And so, yes, when you go back to the 22nd century, of course people will not be the same as they were in the 23rd century. You know, look at the amount of change that we've seen in our own lives in the last 20, 30, 40. 40 years that I've been alive, and even when I you know go back to the last 100 years, the world looks very different than it did 100 years ago. Yeah. But at the same time, there's still some of the same issues. So I, I think the beauty of Enterprise is that it helps us see that, and, and they do it in, I think, a really good way. I do like having these characters that have a little bit more oomph to them, <laughs> you know, in the sense of, yeah, they're, they're not perfect. And everything about space travel, all of this is new to them. Some of them ex- are excited about it. Some of them are not excited about it. Everybody's there for kind of different reasons. And, and I think that is also something that is exciting to watch as well. Like these are not seasoned veterans, you know, I'm, and I, I like that they're going to make mistakes And that's to be expected when they will be the ones that everybody else in Starfleet will end up learning from for the rest of Starfleet. I think that's the beauty of this show is that we get to see all those first mistakes, but we also get to see those first triumphs as well. And that's what makes the show so great.
0: You know, I was thinking about how I reacted to the episode the first time I saw it and Back then, I used to write a column called Science Fiction and Society for a site called Sweet 101, which I think is not around anymore. And if it is, it's basically dead. But I was writing reviews of the first episodes as they came out. It was hard to keep up all the way through, but I did Broken though. And in preparing for this, I went back and I looked at what I wrote at the time And I pulled out a few excerpts from it. And one, I'm going to read to you right now because it ties into what we're talking about here and about making the show different and then how that would be perceived. And I had not read this in quite a while. And when I looked at it and I got to the final sentence and I thought about you and I talking about this today and I thought, oh, I wonder how Matthew will react to part of this. So what I wrote is that, well, of course I wrote that The episode is certainly on par with and really exceeds the previews of the last three series. And then I wrote, the primary strength of the first episode is the writing. Brandon Braga has made a name for himself over the past few years as an excellent screenwriter, and his hand shows here. It shows not only in the traditional Trek elements, but in the ways in which this show takes more chances than its predecessors. It's sexier, more down-to-earth, and yet retains the message that Roddenberry sought to share. In fact, it does it better in many ways than either Deep Space Nine or Voyager. So, what about that last part? Does Enterprise carry forward the core of Gene Roddenberry's message better than Deep Space Nine? The show you and I usually talk about together all the time.
1: I don't think it does it better than Deep Space Nine. I just think it does it in a different way. And I think part of that is by, again, the fact that it's able to mirror where we are more closely. And by doing that, it helps us kind of be able to see ourselves and where we want to go a little bit more easily. But in many ways, I do think that actually Deep Space Nine and Enterprise are kind of more mirrors for one another. The way that TNG and Voyager are mirrors for each other. Or as Boimler would like to say, just foy, you know. Uh, so (laughs) Foy. Yeah. Um, It's so much easier. And so, yeah, I think (laughs) that that, I, I wouldn't agree with that statement as you wrote it there. I would just say... Yeah, these are the two series that I think help us kind of really understand the Gene Roddenberry philosophy by really working to kind of deconstruct it and like, does it work? Right, you know, and and if it was going to work, how would we make it work?
0: Right, and I would not agree with the statement today either. It's interesting. These days, people know me as a Niner. I mean, you and I have been doing the Orb together for like eight years, and I'm always tweeting about how much I love Deep Space Nine. But at the time that I wrote this in 2001, of course, I loved DS9, but I wasn't the Niner that I am today. You know, Deep Space Nine became my favorite series over time and through rewatches and through discussing it with you. But... I agree with what you say here and, you know, mirrors of each other or even bookends, you could say DS9 and Enterprise are bookends of Gene Roddenberry's vision with Enterprise being the one that shows you how you get from where we are today and build what Gene Roddenberry saw as that future, ideal future. And then DS9 is how do you maintain that? Once you've achieved it, it's the fight for maintaining utopia. Whereas enterprise is how do you build a utopia in the first place? And then, you know, something like TNG is we're in the middle of the utopia. And, you know, how do we continue slowly growing it, uh, deal with disagreements here and there, keep exploring you know they're there in the days before things fall apart and then voyagers its own thing because it's off on the other right. side of the galaxy and not involved in the the day-to-day politics of what's going on
1: well it, it it's it's interesting you say that and one of the things that i was thinking back on and i i wondered what your reaction was at the beginning then and now which is the cast mhm because one of the things that i was i was listening to the commentary track and they both mentioned that they felt like that this is the strongest cast that they had ever been a part of, especially with Rick Berman, you know, having been a part of Star Trek since TNG. That's a that's saying something. And um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts then on this cast and how, you know, mm. they hold up, especially to all of the other shows that we have?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I agree with them that this is the strongest overall cast cast, but I think it is a very strong one. I think if you look at season ones of shows, this probably is the strongest group out of the gate. I think that the cast of DS9, I think, is the strongest cast that was ever assembled for a series, but not necessarily in season one, you know, because everyone's finding their feet. You know, Cisco Avery Brooks is not the Avery Brooks for various reasons, not because of Avery Brooks, but because of creative decisions that were made. He's not the Avery Brooks that we really think of when we think of DS9. I was just watching the sound of her voice, which is the next to last episode of season six of DS9 yesterday and watching Bashir and seeing the just absolutely incredible growth in that character and the portrayal of that character. And that took seasons for that to evolve. And the point of all of that is that, whereas with other series, by the midpoint or later in the series, the actors really, as you would expect, had a grasp on those characters that made them feel so solid. Whereas in season one, not necessarily the case. Again, as you would expect. But I think with Enterprise, everyone pretty much nails their character right out of the gate for me. Uh, You know, especially Tripp is phenomenal from the start. Tapole great. I mean, Hoshi is great from the start. Travis, he has that, that, from an acting standpoint, I'm not going to say that Anthony Montgomery hit it out of the park as Travis. But... Then again, maybe, you know, he really captured that boy-like excitement of a boomer who's on this warp five vessel and never expected he would be in a position like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, Reed is great. And then flocks wonderful. Porthos does a bang up job, I have to say. <laughs> and one is, is Captain Archer himself. You know, I think some people maybe feel like Scott Bakula doesn't portray a captain very well because he's not the kind of captain that people think of at the, you know, leading a starship and Starfleet. But for this situation, this environment, being the first crew going out there, you know, he actually has that wide eyed wonder that you would have, I would have going out there. He might be the captain, but he's never been out there either. And I think he captures that really well. So Mm -hmm. I, I do agree with them that they nailed the casting and they assembled an extremely strong group of actors for the show
1: i yeah I, you know i i think the thing that really struck me especially as rewatching this again was the way in which each person really captures their character right away regardless yeah. of whether or not they're the best actor in star trek I don't think that's as important as really capturing what the character's essence is. And and I think everyone here does a great job of that. Absolutely. Connor Turnier, I think, is the standout, honestly. Because I think from second one that he's on screen, you absolutely know who this character is. And you can already kind of project where this character is going to go. What, what's going to be this character's arc? And, and I, I think especially mm-hmm. with Broken Bow, he has the strongest arc of being the one who... Already starts the process of stopping to be able to think about what his perspective is and what not immediately jumping to conclusions. He has that wonderful conversation with him and Paul, and even just the way that Jolene plays that, where she's been a bit harsh on everyone, and until that moment where she. She does. She gives him this wonderful little bit of perspective, but she does it in such an for a Vulcan, strange to say, a very loving way. She doesn't come off as is biting his head off. She really is trying uh-huh. to help him understand. And he
0: does. Are you talking about the scene where he doesn't understand the woman is weaning her yes. child? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that they you can know, breathe. Yeah.
1: So uh, that's something that really stands out to me with those with the characters. And, and I uh, 100% agree. I think that Scott Bakula has exactly what you need as a captain for the first starship where he is excited to get into space. You know, he is, mm-hmm. he's been waiting for this moment for his entire life. Literally everything he's done is built up to this moment. And he's commanding. He is also somebody who is a little bit out of his depth, but is to be expected. He's the very first person to be doing what he's doing, to be captaining this type of ship with this type of crew in these type of situations. And I think you absolutely need him to feel like he's out of his depth every once in a while, if not most of the time, especially in the first season. And so he's he's wonderful as well. And, and yeah, I... I I, I just don't think there's anybody in this cast who doesn't immediately give you what you need for each one of these characters. And I feel like I'm, as I'm watching the first episode, kind of excited to see where they go in the future. And so to me, cast-wise, I'm blown away every time I start rewatching the series because it's like, yeah, these these characters connect. And anecdotally, My wife hasn't seen very much Star Trek. So we've been doing the world's slowest watch of Star Trek ever. And we had watched through all (laughs) of season one and she really was enjoying it. I do think that it's because it was easier to connect with these characters for somebody who hasn't watched a lot of Star Trek. um, Mm -hmm. Just because they feel a little bit more like us. But two... There were so many times where she would like an episode or enjoy an episode, and I'd be like, oh, fans hate that one. She's like, why? And so this show and its cast, I think, work.
0: So that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, fans hate that one. Why? Because fans have expectations that they can't let go of. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what you're talking about with when they're on Rigel 10 and they see the woman weaning her child and Trip wants to intervene and T'Pol tells him, you know, you can't, you have to let go of those preconceived notions. And basically that sums up the fandom. Yep. A lot of the fandom, like you have to let go of your preconceived notions Mm -hmm. of what Star Trek is and let it grow. Let Mm -hmm. it go somewhere else. Uh, Understand that there are different ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a wonderful parallel there
1: and i think that was even something that kind of goes into the changes they kind of make to make this feel like it's in a different place you know i I know people just get all up in arms about the decon chamber but the thought process behind that is actually so smart when you don't have a transporter and it's biofilters and when we think of the world we live in today right Chris, we even live in a different world than when this came out in 2001 where we've all been dealing with a pandemic, um, the coronavirus. You know, you think about those those processes of going down to a planet and pulling up a a virus that you didn't expect or anything. So I was watching the decon chamber and thinking this makes even more sense in light of the world we live in now than it did when the show first came out. And I also always thought it was funny because it's like, People say they're so advanced in their thought process about sexuality and everything. It's like, right. this is exactly what you say you've been wanting, and yet when it happens, <laughs> you get really upset about it. And it's you like, upset. Yeah. yeah, but I also think that, you know, the beauty of, of that type of scene as well is that it it does set up some tension between characters and it puts them in a in a what we might consider a more vulnerable place but for them is just like it's another day on the job even though this is their first day on the job
0: yeah and that also gave me a thought there's all this debate these days especially in the United States about oh i have to wear a mask there's something dangerous i need to protect myself from oh i have to wear a mask really do you think we'd have that same resistance and debate if people were saying you have to get in a decon chamber and rub each other down with ointment. Maybe more people would be like, okay, it's not so bad. <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't know if,
0: well, anyway. So, um, you know,
1: I, I just, I, those type of things I thought were always interesting that people complained about. You know, I think this show does a really great job of, of giving us enough that's familiar, but enough that's different to to be able to really enjoy and I think it's, it, I can't imagine the tightrope that they, and, and they mentioned this in the commentary um, when they were talking about writing, that it really was a tightrope. How much do we give the fans and how much do we yeah. not give them when it be- comes to what they're used to? And much of the show was a, was them trying to get out of the rut that they found themselves in, basically right. with yeah. Voyager, they yeah. don't say that, but that's exactly what they are saying because they are talking about trying to get away from the formula that they had created. And they even right. mentioned, you know, some of the shows here in, in Enterprise, will well, you'll find them a little bit more formulaic than others, but our goal was to get away from that formula.
0: Yeah. Well, they're writers, you know, I mean, especially Brandon. I mean, Rick, Rick is was producer most of the time mm-hmm. through the franchise, but, but he also wrote a lot. And yeah, of course they want to do something different. And and you can see, it doesn't mean that those later episodes of Voyager are bad. There are a lot of wonderful episodes in there. But if you put yourself in the shoes of a writer, you can imagine yeah. how you would feel like you're in a rut and you want to do something different. And then you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I stay in universe here? How do I keep the fans happy? But... Branch out, do something new, and part of that was of course going back in time and making it a prequel, but other parts of it are just how do you write the characters? How do they interact mm-hmm. with each other? What is the environment like? you know what situations are they put in put in and how do they react to them based on the more limited technology and scientific knowledge that they have?
1: Yeah, no, I mean a hundred percent. Now, I got to ask you about this because, you know, and and this is really fascinating to me. Thinking along the lines of how every television show is uh, done today where it's basically super serialized for the most part and you have one mystery per season. So this show does start with a massive mystery, which is the temporal cold war. And yet it is not a mystery that they're trying to answer in just one season. In fact, their rule was that you would only have maybe two, maybe three episodes dealing with this per season. So there was a running thread, but it wasn't meant to overshadow the entire show. Do you like that? Did you like that at the time? And how do you feel like that actually ends up working now um, in retrospect?
0: And it's an interesting question. Specific to the temporal Cold War, I think part of that may have been that they didn't want... That was a mystery they didn't want to have and they didn't want to resolve in the first place. You know, they were kind of forced to put that into the story because of the studio's desire to have a more futuristic element, which has been well documented and discussed. I think that I prefer having something like this that's like an ongoing mystery, but it's not the core of the entire story all the way through to the end of the season. You know, if you take Discovery, I would say Discovery Season 2 is a good example with the Red Angel, because that was very much very specific thing they were trying to solve for the whole season. And then you get to the end. And I feel like they kind of resolved it largely before they got to the end. And then they had a few more episodes to go. And then they had to put another twist on it. I don't know. Like, I would say that I'm fine with both. But I prefer the more traditional Enterprise or Deep Space Nine type of storytelling where we have other stuff going on. not everything is central to that mystery you can be pursuing that while still having standalone stories more that explore the characters, that explore mm-hmm. life on the ship or on the station in DS9. So it's not a relentless drive to solve this mystery. I think that if you look down the road, well, right now, is 20th anniversary of Enterprise. We're getting together, doing a podcast, talking about each episode of this show in depth And that's what we do on the orb for Deep Space Nine. 20 years from now, I'm not sure that people will be examining Discovery or Picard in the same way that they do these earlier series. Because that relentless drive to solve one mystery in 10 episodes, 13 episodes, it doesn't Allow the depth of development for the characters and other themes not connected to the mystery that I think is necessary for something to remain vibrant for decades, as these other series have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. And before I hand it back over to you, I was, I, one thing I pulled out of what I wrote uh, in my review right after this aired, is about this temporal Cold War. And it was kind of funny reading it again after knowing how it all turns out. I wrote, If I am looking for flaws in Broken Bow, there are a couple of items that catch my eye. The nature of the Sulaban time incursions and their overall purpose remains more or less a mystery. Is this a flaw or just design? Why do the Sulaban want to throw the Klingon Empire into chaos? I'll chalk this one up to design, though perhaps this could have been better integrated into the story. I expect that this will all be revealed gradually over the first few seasons, but a little more information would have prevented the slight feeling that the whole thing is just a plot device to complicate the voyage to Kronos.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and part of that is that even then, life was so much different when it came to television shows and how they worked. And, you know, now mm-hmm. we just expect that, that you have to have a major mystery or some, you know. And I, I really liked what you said because I do think that you're on to something that there is not. The reason that that these Star Trek shows have, have been so talked about and so mined and so many people have been able to go back for so many years and talk about them is because of the variety of different types of storytelling you get and the adventures the characters go on, and the way that those then tie together into a larger story. And when you serialize a show, there is really only one point to it. And I would say what ends up happening is that plot then comes before character.
0: Right. Yeah. All
1: of these shows, in Enterprise specifically, Rick and Brandon said the point of doing this show for them. Was that they wanted to have the ability to be a more character-driven show. And in many ways, that harkens back exactly to where you got in Deep Space Nine. That's what they're wanting. And they even follow yeah. that mold. We're going to serialize a little bit. It's not going to be overarched in, in the sense that like it's not going to take over the show we are going right. to be serializing here so that we get more character development, more character growth. I think they they do it right. This is where you have just the right amount of serialization and just the right amount of character growth um, because it's the character growth that is pushing the story. It's It's not the other way around. It's not the story pushing the character growth. Right. So I think there's something really well done here with Enterprise in that.
0: Yeah. And I really like where they got to in the fourth season of, of Enterprise, where you mm-hmm. have these little mini arcs, you know, you've got three episodes that tell one story, and then you've got three episodes that tell another story, but they're not so distinct. They're not like the existence of all life in the universe is at stake kind of stories. Right. They're just very small things that happen in universe, as you would expect in life. Right now I'm watching the Clone Wars and And it's the first time for me to get very far into the Clone Wars, and now I'm into season four. And as you know, of course, it's very similar. You know, you've got a couple of episodes where there's one story going on, and then there's three episodes where there's one story Mm -hmm. going on. But there's also a broader story happening that's running through all of that as well. So it's like you've got one story... That is serialized and then you mm-hmm. you branch off into these little pockets along the way. And it all makes a whole that I think yep. is a lot more rewarding than when every episode is just the next chapter in this one story. So yep. I think that Inter- Enterprise and Deep Space Nine both do it well. They do it in a somewhat different way. DS9 is sort of its own thing. I don't know that you could just recreate a Star Trek series that followed the f- formula that Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine ended up with. I think the formula that Enterprise ended up with is a really good formula for Star Trek. Yeah,
1: no, I heartily agree. I I think uh, you're you're absolutely right, and so. Obviously, this this has been, I think, obviously, kind of way more free flowing than our normal conversations. Yeah. But we're just yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. getting right back into um, enterprise and and discussing that. And so, I I guess one of the things I'm wondering before we were to close out was, as you look back on Broken Bone now, and you watch the episode, what is it that stands out to you? that you really like? And is there anything still that stands out to you after all these years that you don't like about it?
0: Hmm. Interesting question. Um. In terms of what stands out that I like, I think that it's probably the fact that they made the Vulcans different than we expected and they used that to show the struggle of humanity to spread its wings and become its own thing. And it's amazing when you when you watch the beginning of this story, it's amazing to think that humans become the leaders of this huge federation 100 years later. You might think, well, the Vulcans would be those people. And I know that the Vulcans are a founding member, but it's really the humans who... Are like the heart and soul of the Federation, as you would expect, because the whole story is written by humans. But, but it's the fact that they set that up and they break our expectations of the relationship between humans and Balkans probably stands out the most to me. And I think that that decision fuels so much of the storytelling throughout the season when you get to things, you know, like. Shadows of Pajam and such, those relationships are powered by this initial setup. And it runs all the way through to the end of the series. So that probably stands out the most Mm -hmm. to me. And what also stands out to me is just how strong the episode is from a writing standpoint, an acting standpoint, and a production standpoint. No matter how many times I watch it, and I think I've watched it five times in the last two months, it always feels solid to me. I never look back at it and feel like, ah, boy, you know, they could have done a lot better with this. It just feels so mm-hmm. solid and polished. Mm-hmm. So it stands the test of time well. As for what I don't like as much, I I don't know. Like there's, there's not much about this episode where I say, hmm, I wish they hadn't done that. Or I think that doesn't work. Maybe I liked it in the beginning, but yeah, it really doesn't hold up. Not much there. You know, the, the thing I read a minute ago about the temporal Cold War and what, what are the Sulaban doing, that was my impression after watching this episode for the first time. And no other episode had come out yet, so I don't have right. anything to go on. So that's all that is. I do think the temporal Cold War could have been handled better overall in the series. Yeah, the other thing, I don't know, maybe I personally would have... Like to wait a little bit to do things like introduce clean lines into the story mm-hmm. and such for so many familiar elements but yeah i don't I don't have a lot to give you on the what mm-hmm. I don't like about broken bow. What about you
1: you know I think you 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 brought up something that's really fascinating that I love, which is why do humans become the dominant force and People may hate this answer, but I, I think it comes from Gene Roddenberry's experience and what he believed, I think, and what he would have believed, I think, about America and the way Americans came together in the sense that America was a country that, where many different peoples from many different places all came together to to come under one creed. We we don't have blood that ties us. We don't have those the we don't have nationality in that sense that tie us. What we have is a common creed to which we all hold. And that creed is is what keeps us together. And that's what the Federation is. I mean, Federation is basically just that same idea on an intergalactic scale. And so I think that's what made humans the ones who brought that to the galaxy. They they were saying, "Hey, let's stop this tribalism and let's start this, you know, federationism." You know, like, um, and I think there's a there's a beauty to that because of the human experience being very different than the ones that many of the other races had had. So that that's an interesting question. I think to me, that's that's kind of the answer, um, yeah. as to what I like about Broken Bow. I mean. I think the thing about it is it's just, just such a strong episode. I think it sets the tempo and the and the the tone of what Enterprise is going to try and be um, moving forward. I think all the characters come across as interesting and fun and make me want to know more about them. And it's a good-looking episode for the most part. You know, obviously there's... They put a lot into this when it came to effects and really trying to 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 move forward. And, I mean, they were doing things that you could have never done on Star Trek even, like, two or three years before this. Right. Because of technology. So all of that I love. As per there being anything that I don't love, I wish – I think part of me wishes that it was a solid two-hour episode. Like, instead of it being 130 Oh, because I would have maybe time, yeah. liked even just a little bit more time with every single part of this. I think that's to me the only thing that I would say I don't like is that there's this, and I'll, I'll point out specifically why I say that. There's the scene where Paul and Tripp are yelling at each other on the bridge, basically, mm-hmm. about, you know, that Captain Archer wants him to come back for him, and she's like, no, you know. And then the next scene you see them and they're working together. it's like there's a missing scene in there where I would have loved for them to have had it out in the the ready room or something yeah. as to why she changes her mind yeah so there's it's just that it's like I just want more of the story and I, so yeah, that's the only thing I can think of that that I would would change or or that I don't like about it so I can see that,
0: yeah, great. I guess one comment I was going to make when you were talking about humans and and the creed, and I think another thing is it's and you're probably getting at this point humans have this drive to always know like what's over the next hill to explore, and a difference I see in. Say the Vulcans and the humans here, like they're both founding members, but who's actually gonna really take charge as the lead? In enterprise, it's the Vulcans who are in charge, right? Because they're more experienced, but ultimately it's the humans who become the leaders. I think that the difference is you think back to first contact, Vulcans are monitoring Earth, right? So they found something interesting. Vulcans scan, keep their distance. Eh, it's interesting, but we're not going to explore too much more until Zephyr Cochrane makes the warp flight. Whereas humans would be like, oh, that's interesting. Let's go find out what's down there. That's the difference. And I think that's why humans ultimately take charge. All right. Well, Matthew, it's been great talking about Broken Bow. There's so much more we could dig into if we wanted to, but we're going to touch on each episode. And to some extent, obviously, we're not going to go into extreme detail of every episode. I think most installments of this retrospective will be shorter than this one. This was the let's talk about how the series got launched and let's talk about the pilot episode a little bit. But before we sign off, are there any thoughts You want to share with the listeners about where we're going to be going?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to do this. Uh, One, uh, just it's a fun way to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Enterprise and a a show that I still love to this day and can't wait to rewatch the entire thing and talk through every episode with you, Chris. And I hope that the listeners will go on this journey with us, you know, and, 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 you know, talk to us uh, on social media, hit us up in the Babel conference about things. I would love to have the discussions. You know, I think this is really fun to be able to get a chance to go back and do together and experience together. So I'm just really hoping that that people will go along on the
0: journey with us. Me too. And we brought extra cheese. So don't worry. Porthos isn't gonna eat all of it. (laughs) We've got plenty for everybody.
1: And Chef's got some real humdingers coming up for for dinner. Oh,
0: he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, T'Pol's going to be doing a master class on how to eat objects with a fork that you shouldn't be able to eat Mm -hmm. with a fork. Yes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. If you would like to share your thoughts on Broken Bow with us, we'd love to hear from you. There are many ways to get in touch with us. The best way to have a conversation is in the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field, and it should come up. Or if it doesn't, just type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group, so if you're not yet a member, you will need to answer a few questions so that we can let you in. So please be sure that you answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum. You can also find us on Twitter, where our username is FM. That's our username pretty much everywhere, also on Instagram. And if you want to send us email, you can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact and use the form there. And that will come to Matthew and me by email. So, uh, Matthew, when you're not talking about the 22nd century with me, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, uh, social media, uh, check. Matt Rushing02 on a social media platform of your choice. I'm probably there. And that's my moniker uh, and all the platforms that I'm on. Uh, you can also find me here doing the 602 Club, which is our general geek show and hold other side of the network where we talk about all the phantoms outside of Star Trek that we love. And uh, as we release this show, um, we are about to have another special run show inside this 602 Club feed coming out called Assembling Avengers. As John Mills and I look back at every single movie in the Marvel franchise and give that an evaluation outside of the hype. Uh, and then you can also find me, of course, with you doing The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then over in the Nerd Party Network, uh, I finished Owlpost with Drea Kaufman where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars every week. So, Chris, if people want to catch up with you and see what chef is serving up to you tonight, where can they find you?
0: (laughs) Well, you can find me over on my new show, Marvelous Musings, where I talk about everything that you and John said about the Marvel Universe. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> not a real show, but <laughs> it's sort of like a podcast that recaps another podcast. So, ah, classic, because no, no, we haven't
1: <laughs> gotten that far yet.
0: <laughs> um, you can find me on my main show from time to time with Larry Nemichuk called The Ready Room we've been doing for 11 years and that's just about everything in the Star Trek universe and Larry and I these days we tend to talk about the newer Star Trek most of the time and also the business side of the franchise. I have Interphase which is a show about all of Star Trek which has been dormant for a while but we're working on an idea to get that going again. Of course Matthew you and I talk about Deep Space Nine over on the orb and we also talk about books and novels and comics over on literary treks where we're also joined by bruce gibson often interviewing the authors about their books and i have some other stuff in the works which you and i have been working on together uh, coming down the road for the network so everyone just keep your eyes and ears open for those things and if you'd like to chat with me twitter is the best place to find me that's where i'm most active my username there is c brian jones letter c and brian with a y and that's my username throughout social media and I do pop into the Babel Conference there on Facebook as well. So feel free to leave comments about this episode there on the thread that you'll find for this episode of Warp 5. Now, if you'd like to help us keep everything going here as we retool the network, we could really use your support on Patreon. It takes a great deal of money to publish these shows, actually, and get them out to you and the past year and a half has been quite difficult through the pandemic for us, so we could definitely use your support in helping us get to a better place with what we're doing and bring some of our ideas to you. And the way to find out how to do that is to go to patreon.com slash FM. that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash FM, and you can get the details there on how to support us. And we really do thank everyone who is contributing to the network right now. We really could not keep this going without you. And lastly, we would really appreciate you leaving a rating and review for the show in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get the show, if they allow you to do that. It does help people find the show and help us grow the listener base. So Thank you so much for your support there as well. All right, Matthew, well, the first installment of our retrospective is in the book, so I'm looking forward to the next one, but I noticed that there's a little deviation up ahead. Do you think we should adjust course? Let's go.